Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts. John the Vernomatic Verno and direct from New Jersey, Metal Walt. Good evening, everybody. As always, Thursday night's new content drops. Tonight's episode, we're here to talk with vocalist Jeff Allen of Witch Slayer, the heavy metal band from Chicago, who in 2023 properly released its first ever album, something that was in the works for over 40 years. Jeff joins Metal Walt and myself to talk about the history of the band, the new release, and the continued plans for 2023. Walt actually caught the band live in concert in Chicago about a month ago at the Legions of Metal two-day concert. There was the event where Metal Church played the first show with Mark Lopes. The Rods were there. Witch Slayer played. Um, and there was like a whole lineup of bands. It really is a cool story, man. You know, he tells the story about how the Witch Slayer was there at the same time of Metallica's demo. They're there when Slayer was coming out, Anvil, um, Early Maiden. I mean, they were right there. He he shares this cool story where he had the opportunity to submit a demo tape to Hetfield, James Hetfield of Metallica, when Metallica was looking for a vocalist. Ah, uh, let's see. Tells stories about um wh- what happened when Witch Slayer opened up for Accept, and Wolf Hoffman exactly wasn't the most courteous um tour mate, and just um stories about going to California and seeing Metal Day at the US Festival. It really is a fun story. So stick around for that. That's coming up in just a second. If you're new to the Metal Mayhem ROC show by finding us on the Pantheon Music Podcast Network, welcome, and we invite you to get up to our website, MetalMayhemROC.com, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. This is the chance for us to stay in touch with you, give you alerts about new podcast episodes, new YouTube interviews that we do. There's a lot of them dropping, like every couple days we have something new up there. Monday nights, we have a live radio show on Metal Devastation Radio. So that's your one-stop shopping. That's MetalMayhemROC.com. You can also find past episodes. Let's see. Last week, we had uh, the Hell's Disciple reunion show with Satan, Night Demon, and Haunt. Don Jameson, a couple weeks ago, the heavy metal comedian, he was on talking about the state of bands in 2023. And uh, Brian Diamond of MTV, he was a content producer. He was on talking about cool stories from MTV back in the day. And we started the summer off with Bobby Blitz from Overkill. Was here talking about the new album, Scorched, the tour that just, just started. So he was talking about that. So there's a really, a lot of good content up there. Again, that's MetalMayhemROC.com. All right, so let's get into this. For Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. 
Good morning, everybody. As we tape this, it's a balmy Saturday morning in July. Metal Walt and I are having our morning coffee, and we're here to talk with Jeff Allen of the band Witch Slayer. They're from Chicago. They have a long, rich history. We're here to find out the story and find out what they're doing in 2023. But first, Metal Walt, how you doing, my friend? Good morning, Verno. I'm great, man. I got my coffee. I got my Cubs hat. And hopefully <laughs> Jeff's a Cubs fan. We'll see what happens. Well, let's get Jeff Allen from Witch Slayer. Jeff, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. How are you, my friend? Right on. Good. Good, good. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Good to see you again, man. It's been about a month, and that was a killer night, and I can't wait to talk a little bit about it a little bit later. So, uh, listen, John and I, we've had a couple of, like, feel-good stories of the year so far in our shows, right? And I think you mm-hmm. you complete the trifecta. Maybe there'll be more to come, but I think you complete the trifecta um, of, let's say, bands that like unique stories or unsung heroes. Uh, we had a, a Norwegian band called Wigwam early in the year, they kind of lightning struck twice with success. And then uh, we had the 80s band Heaven's Edge on recently, and they put their first album out in 25 years because the label came to them instead of uh, writing an album. And I think for you, it's just the same. You know, you're a band that, you know, really cut your teeth in the early 80s, and then you went away for a long time and you brought it back. So it's just a fascinating story, and we want to hear all about it. So uh, congratulations on the album. I have a question to ask you as we open. Okay. okay. The original logo, that logo goes back to the 80s, correct? Like who designed the logo? That goes back to when we, uh, yeah, we, it goes back to early 80s and it was the drummer's brother, Don Clark. And he was at that show in Chicago, but um, Don was an artist and he drew that logo. We just went with it and sort of, sort of worked. And when I brought the band back, I thought that was a nice statement to put that on the cover. Nice shout out to the eighties metal scene. Oh, it's a, it's totally killer. I was imagining uh, my my uh, teenage boys they play roller hockey in an organized league, and I said, "How great would this be? This would be the perfect logo to put on a nice black jersey." <laughs> <laughs> and he named the team Witch Slayer. And then we, you know, I figured there's about ten or eleven kids on the team. I coach it. We'll take each of the songs, and they'll be the names on the back. What do you think, Jeff? You up for that? I want down for now. I think it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it happens, definitely you'll get the honorary captain's jersey if we get you one. But uh, anyway, we want to just say hi and uh, welcome you. So welcome to Metal Mayhem RC. How are you today? Good. Glad to be here. Thank you. Jeff, let's uh, we want to go back to the the beginning of the story, let's say, you mm-hmm. know, John and I have uh, we've we've really read up on the story of Witch Slayer and how it all started. And of course, the most important thing is the present, right? And we're going to get to that later. We want to talk about the new album and all the songs and really get into it. But I think it's important now for for you to talk about the origins of the band. So tell us when it formed, who was in there, and that period of time for you. Well, we we all grew up in uh, the Chicago suburbs, the northwest Chicago suburbs. Um, and there was a bunch of us that went... To, there was a couple high schools. There was a high school called Forest View, and our rivals were Elk Grove High School. And uh, funny is uh, James Eha, the guitarist from the Smashing Pumpkins, went to Elk Grove High School, and uh, and then there was Prospect High School, another one in our area. And the guys from Warcry, outside of Paul Speckman, went to Prospect High School, and then. 
I went to Forest View. Speckman went to Forest View. Uh, the guys from uh, Rust went to Forest View. So we were all all these rock guys in the same area. And one night there was a party. There was uh, some people were selling their house, right? And the kids, one of the kids, threw this massive party, house party, at this in this empty house. And I had been in a uh, garage. I was like nineteen at the time. And I'd been in a really bad garage band, but I was getting my feet wet as a lead singer. And uh, so I go to this party. Everybody I knew that was in bands was, was at this party, and there was an open mic in the basement. So I ended up gra- you know, gravitating towards down towards the basement where the band was. And uh, I knew uh, Speckman, and he was on bass, and, uh, they, and there was a couple other guys I knew, and they're like, come on, Alan, get in there and sing. We know you can sing. So I was like, you know, I, there was a, a kegger going on and I had a couple of beers. I was like, sure, I'll jump in there. And we just started rattling off, uh, you know, doing like some Sabbath tunes and priest tunes, you know, just, just having a good time. And once we were done, these two guys approached me. Uh, this one guy, Craig McMahon, and this other guy, Tom McNeely. And they had, you know, the biker jackets and they had... Uh, all these guitar pins on their lapels and you know, the whole 80s metal look. And uh, they're like, man, you're a good singer. We need a singer. We're forming a new band. And uh, what kind of music are you into? And I was I was a couple years older than these guys. You know, they were probably 17. And and I was like, oh, I'm into the 70s music. I like Van Halen. And I like ACDC and stuff. They're like, well, we're, we're going all... New wave of British heavy metal. You gotta, you gotta get into those bands. You gotta start learning those songs. Uh, you ever hear of Angel Witch? I'm like, no. And then <laughs> they're like, why don't you? We rehearse in this guy's basement. Why don't you show up and uh, next Wednesday or wherever, and we'll go through a couple songs and you know we'll see if you like it or not. So I show up and 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 uh, we did Paranoid and you know and then we're in this guy's basement. Ken Wentling, the drummer, and it's like all the lights are dark. They got their girlfriends there sitting out in front of, in front of us watching us. And, um, so we did a couple of songs. I'm like, yeah, these guys are pretty cool. I think I think this would be fun to do. It's, it's better than the band that I was in. So, uh, you know, I gave it a shot. And that's that was the, the birth of Witch Slayer. So when you guys cut the demo, I, I mean, it's dated 1983. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, like, how old were you guys? When the band formed in 1980, I was 19 years old. So, um, and then we went through a few versions of the band. Originally, um, you know, we had five guys, and the two, this guy Tom McNeely and Craig McMahon, and they were getting along. And then we tried a, a couple other guitarists over time, and uh, so I went with Craig. I thought Craig was the smarter of the bunch. It was me, myself, Sean McAllister, who I was friends with. He lived on my block. It really was Craig and I who, who just went off and, and re reformed Witch Slayer the way we wanted to see it. So uh, it was initially Sean, Craig, myself, and then the Dale Clark, who we found in the uh, entertainer ad, and we brought Dale in. At some point, we decided we needed a demo tape because back then, you're at the mercy of the record labels, and you had to shop a demo tape to get a deal to record an album. 
we had uh, a couple songs we wrote with the original band. One was I Don't Want to Die. The other was Witch Slayer. And between Craig, myself, Dale, and Sean, we had written a whole set, a whole set that we could perform live. So Craig had met this guy from this studio called Streeterville, which was a pro studio in the city. And we got this guy, Steve Casile, who was an engineer, pro engineer, and he decided he'd take us under his wing and help us put a demo together. And he had a home studio out in the suburbs. And so we uh, showed up at his house, and over the course of a weekend, we put together that five-track demo. And uh, we used that to uh, get on Metal Massacre 4. Yeah. We, had, we had gone out to Los Angeles and just cold called Brian Slagle and said, hey, man, we're Witch Slayer, we're from Chicago. We, we want on your next Metal Massacre compilation. That's how that started. But we used the demo as a tool to do that. I picked up on something that I wanted to show you. And this is why mm-hmm. I knew it was destined for you and I to speak, because this was up on your Facebook page. This was probably one of those college right. fanzines or whatever, where they used to play metal. I went to this college and graduated from there. Talk about no. irony. Yeah, I graduated awesome. there in 1993, Montclair State College. It's about 20 minutes up the road. And and I, I came in a little bit later. I started school there in 89. And when mm-hmm. I was there, there was no metal station. I mean, we have a metal station out of uh, Seton Hall University. You may have heard of called WSOU. It was one of the biggest ones back in the day, mm-hmm. but um, still pretty cool. But I think what's awesome here, and John and I looked at this, is look at the company you're in on this, right? Oh, yeah. Faded, oh, yeah. Merciful Fate, Queensryche, Raven. I mean, a lot of these bands we've had on our show, it's really, uh, really kind of cool. What uh, gets me is Metallica. You know, they had a, they were, they had a demo. We had a demo. We were even at that point in time. You know, I, I just, it kills me when I see that. But yeah, a lot of it, it's, it's maiden, merciful fate. You know, I thought we were un- heading in the right direction when I saw that. Yeah. Now, Chicago, you know, the main radio stations would not touch metal. They just wouldn't touch metal. And when Metallica really started to take off, I saw Metallica in Chicago at a bar. And I actually, funny story is, um, you know, there is these groupies in Chicago, and I think one of them was hooking up with Cliff uh, Burton, and she had all their phone numbers, all of Metallica's phone numbers back then, because they were all kids. And there was a time when they were tossed around bringing in a lead singer because Hetfield really wasn't comfortable being a lead singer. He just wanted to play guitar. So this this gal, I'm not going to mention names, but she's like, you should go in or you should go uh, try out for Metallica. And I was like, no, no, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think I'm a fit. I don't think our sound is right. They're San Francisco. I'm Chicago. They're really heavy, really aggressive. I, I just think we're going down different paths. She's like, so what? Just call them anyways and try it so I, I i called james hetfield from my parents house one day and he's like who, who is this i i goes oh i'm jeff allen a band called witch Slayer chicago and such and such gave me your number he's like oh he goes well we're gonna be in chicago uh give me your tape when we're there we're, we're gonna play this club and uh and they were they were uh touring for um kill them all and so the day of the show comes I had my tape, and then I just backed out. I didn't give it to him. I was like, they're too heavy. 
the radio's never going to play their music. They're they're just, you know, they're just way too ahead of their time. And I remember being in that club. There was like fifty of us, and Metallica comes off their tour bus, just walks in and with the look of they wanted to kill everybody in the bar, <laughs> yeah. and they just they just fucking destroyed the place, man. But um, you know, to see their success today is stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Now, the, on the Cliff Amal videotape back in the day, they had that famous Chicago clip where oh, yeah. people from the crowd pulled Kirk's guitar into the crowd. I was at that. He, rumor have, has it, it was you and Dave Clark were the ones that pulled the guitar into the crowd. <laughs> but, uh, I was right there. I was I was a few people away from that. That was, that, that was an insane show. That was Raven. They opened for Raven. They were on yep. Johnny Z's Megaforce label. Yep, yep. Doing, doing a tour with Raven. Hey, right. before before I let uh, Walt get back, I just have one question. You mentioned Chicago and through show research, you have a history, your family being involved with the studio or uh, the uh, union of uh, roadies. Did you have a chance to see that very first Van Halen show at the Aragon Ballroom, March 78? Yeah. They used to call that the Aragon Ballroom. Um, yeah, I was at that show. Uh, it was, they were opening for Ronnie Montrose, who was solo. He had put out the Gamma album yep. and Journey. They were playing with opening for Journey and there were, they, Van Halen was an unknown band at the time. They had, they had, uh, that Kinks cover on the radio and that was taken off. And, uh, I had no idea who the hell Van Halen was and I heard, that they had to set up their own stage. They had to carry their own shit in and set up the stage. And that band came on, and I saw Eddie Van Halen, like a young Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth, and they were just killing it. And I was like, who are these guys? You know, that guitar player kicks ass, and that singer's great. And then they the, the last song was, Girl, You Really Got Me Going. I'm like, oh, that's that band that's on the radio. And then after that, Van Halen just exploded. Well, but Van I was like, I was at the right age at the right time to see all these bands in their in their prime. It's awesome. Well, VH1 came out a week earlier, late February '78. It was released, and this show was uh, early right. March. So great show! I was a uh, I was probably a junior senior in high school oh, uh, when lucky. I when I saw that. Hey, we, we, Jeff, this is an important part of your history, and we don't want to gloss over it. But uh, as you said here, this is what prompted the demo, the five song demo you get on to uh, to Metal Blade, which is awesome. And I was just looking at that little college clip, and it, it's funny that you were above what well, looks to be Metal Massacre 3. So it must have been your demo was out. It got picked up, and here you are on this one. But again, mm -hmm. some good company on here, too. I mean, you have your Chicago Mates Trouble on this one. And of course, Lizzie Borden here. So talk yeah. about this time. I mean, was the intention after this maybe experience, was this when you guys were going to maybe expect to go out and do a whole full LP? Was that the path planned? No. Well, that's so we were sort of open. I mean, we were a bunch yeah. of kids just fumbling through this. We're, you know, we didn't have a manager. But, um, you know, we just... We, you know, we knew Brian Slager was doing Metal Massacre. We knew Metallica was on the first one. We went out to the Us Festival in 83 to see the Metal Day, and uh, that was our first time out in L.A. And like I said, we just cold called Brian Slagle and handed him our demo to get on Metal Massacre. And we didn't know what to expect from that. 
Um, we, you know, he's like, and you know, we, we, he's just like, give us a ma- give me a master of whatever song you want, and you know, we'll include it. And he, and then at the time we were talking to him, he's like, I've heard about all- Chicago. It's got an upcoming scene. There's a bunch of bands there. I was thinking of dedicating Metal Massacre Four to the Chicago scene. You know, he put five bands on there, um, but uh, I didn't know what would come out of this. But and, and Craig and I were talking. We're like, well, let's give this guy our shittiest song. We don't know. You know, we're gonna lose rights to this song, and uh, and we don't know what's gonna come out of this. So let's, you know, and which was a mistake. We should have given him our most killer song, but we gave him "I Don't Want to Die." which turned out to be one of our hits. You know, it seems like people like that song. And especially when we play now, like we played in Germany, we played Out of Wine Die, the crowd just, you know, fists went up. Everybody was like, they knew that song. So. Well, it's got a, that song's got a little bit of a, it's got like, it's different from the rest of the material, a little bit of a punk feel to it, a little bit melodic yeah. there. So I, I could see like, uh, you know, and it has that the the riff and the vocal kind of uh, mimic each other. So I can see that being a catchy one. I think it was a good yeah, choice. I, I didn't like it early on, but it's grown on me over the years. I mean, I, I like it now and sort of. And I think when we did this with this latest version of Witch Slayer, we we modernized it up a little bit, made it a little a little more heavier. So, so no. Jeff, just an observation of something you just said in there. So you attended the Metal Day at the '83 uh, US Festival. I did. Wow, that's awesome. We had Gil Moore on about a month ago. We interviewed him specifically for their re-release, an LP that they're putting out or they put out now. Um, And that was a great conversation, too. And he he told some amazing stories about uh, that day and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Amazing story. Maybe you wouldn't even have known. Triumph flew in from, what was it, Florida? Tampa. They played a a show in Tampa the night before with ZZ Top, (laughs) flew across country, without his drums, played the show, and him and Rick Emmett left after the Triumph set, never saw Van Halen, and got in a plane, and were back in Toronto by the next night. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, t- uh, Triumph did a, great, did a great set that day in uh, California. Um, in a, on, the, on our Facebook page, there's a picture somewhere of Mick Mars and myself and Craig, and that was the night before the US Festival, and it was uh, three in the morning outside the Troubadour and on the Sunset Strip, and we're all we've all had a few beers at the time. But uh, that's, <laughs> that's cool. out there. <laughs> Can run hey, across that. Hey Jeff, how <laughs> close? Uh, where were you in that crowd? How close did you get to the front? And was it really like two hundred degrees? It was hot. Yeah, I was uh, up front, maybe ten people from the stage. You know, we were there all day long. I mean, the opening band was Quiet Riot and then Motley Crue. And we were big Crue fans back then. We wanted to see them. This was like their first big show. And then Ozzy and Priest, we weren't going to miss all this, you know? Yeah. So uh, we were out there. War Cry was with us. And um, yeah, um, we just sat there all day up front. It was hot. Um, for for like a week, I was blowing uh, dirt out of my nose, you know, and all this dust in the air. But it was, it was a great day. And you know, I'm a big music fan, and the day before would have been a good show to see as well. It's it wasn't metal, but David Bowie played, and U2, mm-hmm. and um, a bunch of really in excess, a bunch of great new wave bands would have been cool to see as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Brian Diamond 
he was a content producer from MTV on the show. Manny. And he was all involved with that. Him and Mark Goodman doing the MTV Manny. stuff. But he was mentioning that day before that day before show. And believe it or not, um, David Bowie awarded one interview before the show and they had one question and Brian and Mark Goodman had that question and they were uh, talking about, I don't, I don't recall what the question was, but it was a two parter mm-hmm. that Brian was very uh, excited that they finagled a two part question and out of one question, but he was talking about that in that uh, David Bowie was added r- after everything was booked. The organizer Wozniak said, ah, let's get David Bowie. And um, they had to offer him a million dollars plus another half 500,000 to fly his whole crew in, which resulted in Van Halen getting yeah. another, but you know, million and a half a million. So yeah, that's what Van Halen got. They got a million dollars just to play that gig in, in 1983. <laughs> uh, I, I've heard speculation. I'm a big Van Halen fan and you know, they're all hammered and I've seen them do better. The Scorpions, what was your assessment of the Scorpions versus everyone else on that show? I thought they kicked ass. I, I've seen the Scorpions a handful of times, and every time I've seen the Scorpions, they have delivered. Yeah. Now, I saw them on the uh, in Chicago. There used to be this thing called Chicago Fest years ago, and I was in high school, and I went to see Chicago Fest, and they had I don't know if you've ever been to like Summerfest in Milwaukee, but they have multiple bands playing at the same time. And you go, and it's on a pier in Chicago, and you go up and down the pier. And at the time, like on one stage, Cheap Trick was playing. On another stage, Muddy Waters was playing. And then on another stage, the Scorpions were playing all simultaneously at the same time. And I went and saw the Scorpions. I didn't know who they were, but they had that album uh, with the bubblegum on it. Guys grabbing her boob and the bubble gums on his hand. I think love, love like, drive, love drive. Yeah, love drive. They were supporting the love drive album, and they played the entire album, and they destroyed the place. There, there was maybe five hundred people there watching it, but it was like this band is awesome. And after that, the Scorpions took off, and I, I saw them a couple more times. But every time, they just destroyed. They came out and they just played. They delivered, and they did that in California. The uh, at the uh, Us Festival. Festival. Was Michael Schenker with them when you saw that? No, no. And it might have been his brother, Rudolf Schenker. But uh, but no, that was uh, after Michael Schenker. Schenker didn't last with them too long. I know he was all over Love Drive. I just wasn't sure if he toured with them no, or is that when Matias no. started touring with them. So I never saw Schenker with uh, the Scorpions. Walt saw Schenker last uh, last yeah. uh, winter back in back in the back, back in last autumn. He he waved to me from his Cadillac Escalade as he was driving past and didn't roll down the window to even take a picture. But I've seen him solo. Um, I would have liked to have seen him in the UFO days. That was that was the time. But. I never actually saw Michael Schenker solo. I think I saw him with Macaulay Schenker back in the eighties on one of those tours. And I've seen the Scorpions many times going all the way back to the uh, blackout era. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Metal Walt's going to get down to the bottom of what exactly happened to Witch Slayer for them to disband back in 80s. You're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC with Jeff Allen of Witch Slayer. We'll be right back. Metal Mayhem ROC. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, Jeff, we definitely want to get into the the tracks, but um, finish out the story like what happened. Um, You know, it Mm -hmm. seemed like everything was going in the right direction. And and I'm assuming you were hitting up the clubs after the demo and the metal massacre thing. Like, you know, what 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 went wrong? And then what happened from there? Well, a bunch of things, Um, you know, for once, for one. When Sean left, we we had to find another basis. We had this big gaping hole in our band. And so we went back to the Illinois Entertainer and we found Rick Manson. And Rick was from the South Side. We were all Northsiders. And Rick was uh, a little more aggressive with his music taste. He was into the hardcore thrash punk. He liked suicidal tendencies, that kind of stuff. We were more into, you know, the new, the British heavy metal. Tigers, Pantang, Saxon, Angel Wish, that kind of stuff. And so so Rick brought a real scary element to the band. Real intense, heavy uh, influence. And and Rick was also going through hard times, you know. Um, he, you know, for, for a while he was living in our record, recordings or our, our practice studio and he, you know, he just wasn't a happy guy at the time. Great guy. <clears throat> you know, I tried to include him as well on the new album, but, you know, so we had that. And then, uh, you know, the drummer, you know, have his girlfriend there every time and she'd be getting in the way of all our shit. You know, she'd be walking around fiddling with the drums kit while we're rehearsing and unplugging shit accidentally and all that kind of stuff. 
And, uh, you know, and then we were just, we were getting that point, you know, we were like getting into college age. We were 21, 22, and we had to make some decisions, you know, are we going to go down this path or what? And, um, and I, you know, I just think we had been together four years and, uh, I think we we're just getting on each other's nerves, you know, being in a band's like being in a marriage and, yeah. uh, you're, you're living with each other. You're basically tied to the hip and you're, you're li- your livelihood's tied to each other. And uh, I just think things, you know, we just, we just weren't getting the breaks. You know, the, the labels were, were telling us we were too heavy for prime time. Uh, we almost got a deal with Johnny Z and that fell through. Um, when we're getting radio airplay, uh, you know, we were, we were starting to, you know, we were building a following, no doubt. When we did a show, it would be packed. Um, but, uh, you know, when we, the, the last draw was we were supposed to open for Accept on the Balls of the Wall tour at the Chicago Metro. And they just, their roadies came out right when we arrived and said, get the fuck out of here. We don't want an opening act, you know. And uh, there was nothing we could do about it. You know, they said, here's here's the money, now get the fuck out of here. We're, we're like, if this is how the business is, we really want wow. part of this. And what we should have done is just told them to go fuck. I mean, they were a bunch of older guys. You know, we were a bunch of, we were in our early 20s. These guys must have been in their 30s. You know, like five groupies come out and just surround us and say, you're not playing. And, and we were haggling it out with them. And they're like, if you get on stage, you have to set up your own shit. We'll give you one one speaker and one light, and that's all you're getting. And in hindsight, we should have said fine and just taken it and gone up on stage because the place there must have been two, three thousand people in that place, and a lot of them were there to see us. And when that happened, that was sort of the last straw that sort of killed the band. And uh, we, I think we just all needed a break at that point. Was there a Jeff? Was there a, a scene like you know you hear so much in Chicago about? the north side, the south side, like, mm-hmm. was there actually like a scene in one section or the other? Like, what was, what was it like? Well, there are a lot of south side bands that didn't mix with the north side bands. Um, Snow White was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyrants, Tyrants Rain, you know, the drummer we pulled for the Gabriel Anthony, he was part of that south side scene. And the south side was, you know, an hour from where I lived, I never went to the south side unless you knew it it wasn't the best place to go right um and uh and you know i mean there was a bunch of us in the north side and i just sort of that was our scene we just sort of stuck to it but there was definitely a bunch of south side bands each rope was a city band trouble was a city band we eventually became a city band because we moved our uh, rehearsal space into the city and that that changed venues people we met which was good. But yeah, North, South Side, definitely two different scenes. So talk about Jeff. I mean, the most important thing now is bringing us up to the present. So, you know, thank you and appreciate the really killer in-depth backstory. But, you know, what what goes on for the last 35 years? Like, obviously, you have another career. Did you guys, like, did you reach out to the original members and say, hey, I want to do this thing again? And like, how did the whole thing transpire? Multiple times, multiple times. When we broke, and another reason why we broke up is two of the guys wanted to move to California because it seemed like the scene was in California. 
for, for bands. That was the industry. I had no desire to move to California at the time. I got into tech. I got into an IT career. It was, you know, in the beginning of that whole industry. And I was, had a knack for that kind of shit. So I, I went in down, down that path. Um, and that was one of the problems. I had a backup plan. I was able to get into college and get a career and yeah. make a living. Um, and it seems like the bands who are really mega successful had no plan B. You know, it was, it was become a, a successful metal band or, or nothing. Um, so anyways, two guys went to LA or California. It didn't work out. Eventually time went on. I kept in track with all these guys. I, I knew where they were all at. And early 2000, um, I decided I wanted to get this album going. I was like, guys, we put together a bunch of songs, enough for an album and a half that are great songs. We should be putting this shit out there just for the sake of documenting it. You know, why Why leave that stuff on the table? Why never record that stuff? These are good songs. And we worked our asses off to create them. Um, so, you know, a couple of guys would be interested and I'd rally the other guys and get them together. I'd ha- I had Zoom meetings one time and, you know, I thought we were all going to pull it together. And then, you know, we're getting ready to start recording and one guy just drops off. Never hear from, you know, bails on me. And uh, and then another problem was Craig got into filmmaking. He's always been a creative guy. He's, he's always had a wife who supported him, lets him do his shit. And uh, and so he got into filmmaking in the uh, about twenty years ago. So he, you know, the only reason he was interested in a revival was so he could film and make a documentary out of it. And but then he backed out of it. So that that fell apart. And at the time, I was living down in Tampa, and Dale Clark, the drummer, was living down there as well. And I tried to, this is maybe about 2010, and I tried to get Dale to start working with him to put the album together. And I had a buddy in Tampa who was from New York, uh, who was a guitar player and a really good guitarist. And I was trying to pull him in. And then he started trying to rearrange or rewrite all the songs. I was like, this isn't going to work. And uh, so eventually I decided that I had I have to do this in Chicago. I have to use Chicago musicians or else it's never going to sound the same. Yeah. And if I'm going to bring back the band and I'm going to record an album, it's going to be put under so much scrutiny. You better do it right. And you, never, you better not do a half-assed job of it or else it's going to be a disaster. It's going to trash the name. So, Jeff, all of the musicians that that are visually here on the back and that played at the Reggie shows, either all Chicago based musicians, then, correct? Every one of them. I'm the only one that doesn't physically live in Chicago anymore. Okay. But everybody is from Chicago. And I, I consider myself a native Chicago. And I mean, I spent 35 years of my life there. Um, so, but I, you know, there's this distinct sound that, that came out of Chicago. It's a doomy, gloomy, real heavy, Sabbathy sound. And, you know, unless you grew up and were part of that scene, you're just not going to get, you know, as far as your musician goes. So I knew I had to do it in Chicago. So um, I had been in touch with Ken Mandat, who was a guitarist from Damian Thorne. And Ken, back in the day, you know, I remember we were rehearsing in our, our studio, the one that we share with Trouble. And uh, 
Mandat walks in out of the blue. It was like on a Friday, Saturday night. We were just jamming out. And here's this little guy. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And it turns out it was <laughs> Ken Mandat from Damien Thor. And uh, so we, you know, we became friends and just stayed in touch on Facebook. And one day I was talking to Ken and telling him all the challenges I was having trying to get reunite this band and, and put out this album. And he's like, well, fuck it. Just why don't you and I do it? We'll just do it. We'll do it right. Get it done. And Ken was on the same page as me. So that's when this revival started. That's amazing that you carried the spirit of the original band members and you didn't yeah, well, stray too far from home and you kept in musicians, some of them which were still back in the scene back then that maybe you rubbed yeah. elbows with or you're friends with or at least they were familiar with you. So that's the sweet spot of the whole story, man. I, I just think it's totally killer. Vern, Vern, what, I, you, what was your impression of the album here? Right off the bat, two songs that I labeled very Chicago Doomy-ish, Crypt and Vixen. And another song that I wanted to... Um, Probably one of my favorites, and I'm probably butchering the title. Augury. Um, opening riff is just downright evil. <laughs> so um, comment on those three songs. Yeah, I know. Um, those are Craig McMahon riffs that he put together, and, and Craig is a little out there, you know. Uh, let's put it this way. Today, Craig is uh, running a... Uh, a psychic YouTube channel where he talks to the dead. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's up? So he's out there, <laughs> and he always had a demented uh, view of life. So, yeah, some really crazy shit has happened to that guy. Uh, so, but he just had a uh, state of mind that was great for writing really evil, wicked songs. You know, and they'll. I this was a pleasure to listen to this. I listened to it like three or four times. And as I'm driving around listening to it, these this is my interpretation. Some bands that I hear Witchfinder General in a lot of these and, songs, I definitely hear Angel Witch, uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Hayborn's vocals. It just brings yeah. me back to there. I hear some Anvil. The uh, I don't know really? if you're a fa- yeah, like the <laughs> the comparison to Rob Reiner and Lips. What song did I have that on there? Um, Anvil, uh, uh, Salem Trials, killer riff. The drums sound like Rob Reiner. Um, one could say that Anvil is the ones who started thrash metal with that sound. Um, a lot of people will say Metallica stole their their sound from Anvil. Um, and you know, a lot of the early metal. You know, I, I don't remember thrash metal until some of these like and Anvil came around. And that real, that real. A speedy guitar riff that Lips would put out. Uh, we're talking about that. My notes for the song Seduction. Heavy, Genius. not thrash, but downright heavy. You think it's, I would, I would think if any song's thrash, it's, it's the chorus of Seduction because we speed it up. You know, we it's yeah. a little dewy, but then we kick into that chorus and it's just, you know. Just, that's my notes. I have it on there. I said, if there's one song that there's going to be a mosh pit happening for, it's that one. <laughs> yeah, it's that one. The title track, definitely an opening song. Yeah, Great. Get right in there. Slows down in the middle. And then the jamming guitar is just priceless. 
I love the style that, you know, that was something from back then as well. It was like you had the name of the band and then the lead track was also the same name. So it's well, like. Great point. Well, great point. We did that because Angel Witch had Angel Witch and yeah. we were a big Angel Witch fan. So we're like, oh, we got to write. That was that was our first song we ever wrote. You know, the guitar players were 16, 17. I was <laughs> probably 19. And I remember Tom McNeely comes in and he's like, what do you guys think of this riff? Wank, dink, 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 you know? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, cool riff. And um, we just built the song around it. And we just said, let's just call it Witch Slayer. It'll be our, you know, our angel witch. And, yeah. uh, and we kept it ever since. Yeah, it really is. I've, I've been spinning. It, it's <laughs> funny, Jeff. I, uh, I have to be honest. I had never really heard of you guys until I knew I was coming out for that work trip to Chicago. I said, let me who sees who's on the bill. And I like the logo on the Reggie sign, to be honest. And I'm like, let me see this. And I read the backstory. I bought the CD and I've been spinning that thing constantly. My nine-year-old daughter, she's like, oh, come on, dad, another one of this. Like she she mixes up Slayer and Witch Slayer. But <laughs> Slay is a cool word. And the nine-year-olds, they love that word. So she's like, oh, tell the other guy tomorrow, Slay. And I'm like, okay, I'll make sure I do a shout out. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a killer album, man. I mean, even like, like a song like Hang Em High, it's got that catchy chorus and it just yeah. sticks with you i keep repeating it in my head all day long that's and yeah and i've always we've always wanted to write catchy catchy hooks catchy lyrics we didn't want to be some of the like some of these bands it's just you know balls out jamming 120 miles an hour we want people to be able to walk away and be able to remember the birth remember the chorus yeah, and if they listen to the album for a while and they come see us when those choruses hit, their fists are going up in the air because they know the freaking chorus. Yeah, you know they they know what's coming, and it, it's an art to writing music. That's that's the challenge, and you know we're the guys want to write a second album now, follow up, and I'm like, well, if we're doing this, you know, you guys, you gotta you gotta think hooks, you gotta think catchy lyrics. You know, I'll, I'll work on the lyrics, but. You guys, from the guitar standpoint, you gotta think of a hook. You know, it's it's, it's got to be memorable. And, and Jeff, I just want to reiterate when I say I hear a certain band in these songs, it's a compliment. Back then, it was hard to hear other bands. You know, there you know, there's no radio unless you had the album, and you know, you were a kid. Mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of money you had, so it was. No, I didn't have any money. Yeah, so <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like you had all these bands at your fingertips like it is now. It was just. No. It was a pleasure to listen to it. It brought back a lot of memories, and um, I'll definitely keep it in my rotation. It may be my... I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Th that's what I meant to compare it, because I love all those bands. Back then, unless you used to hang out in the record stores, and a lot of stuff we listened to were imports. Yep. So we had to go to particular record stores that had imports, but you couldn't listen to them. You had to buy them and bring them home, man. You know, it's just... You're, you could only buy so many. It was usually word of mouth. I got a new accept because Trouble brought in the uh the album that the the flying knees are on fire Re reckless restless and wild everything and that's how i heard except i didn't never knew who except was it's because trouble brought in we listened to it you know and so jeff i had a couple like questions because i want to talk a little bit about the reggie show um as well sure. but um the album did you guys a number one was for the, the 11 songs that are on the album, is that it? Is that all the songs that, that you guys had in the canyon no. or are there others? Or, and did you actually stay 100% true 
to the demo, the music, the lyrics and everything? Or did you kind of make some updates to the songs? Uh, only from a guitar aspect. Um, you know, when we made this album, we had we had the demo. We had two live bootlegs that were really rough. And uh, I had to get Gabriel Anthony in the mix to track them, to create digital tracking. So, and he did it true to form off the songs. He didn't stray from it. The lyrics are the lyrics. They're exact lyrics we wrote back in the day. The guitar, the lead, I, I had to give Ken Mandat some leeway, some artistic leeway. I just can't say, you can't tell a musician to play somebody else's yeah. music exactly verbatim. So uh, I gave Ken a little leeway there, and he kept it pretty much true to form, but when it came to leads, he pretty much did his own thing. Um, but the music is pretty much as is. That, uh, you know, there are a couple other songs we excluded from the 80s, and there's a handful we wrote after we broke up. Craig, Craig and I got together at one point. We wrote five songs. Which, you know, there's there's some good songs there. Um, so we still have about another half an album that okay. we could produce, uh, but it would take also writing from this new band, which I'm willing to do, but I, I want to make sure if we do do that, that we keep it, True form to Witch Slayer, uh, which is going to be a challenge, but I'm willing, I'm open to it. I so. was going to be one of my questions because I think the album is just good enough. And listen, I was at that show in the crowd, and I'm curious to hear your impressions of the Reggie show. But I'm not, I'm not going to lie, man. You guys went on at seven o'clock. That room was packed. The energy was slamming, and I don't know if it was a local thing, but you guys owe it to yourselves to to play more shows and and make some more music man because you guys kicked ass well um you know this guy bob Byrne, who's the promoter of the legions festival this is like the fifth year he's done this and uh every you know when he heard we were recording you know right off the bat he's like hey you want to do my festival and i'm like we're not ready we're not ready we're not ready and then when we and we were targeting the keep it true True Fest in Germany is the festival we wanted to play. And uh, we finally were ready to do that. He's like, you know, why don't you guys play my next festival then? If you're going to do Keep It True, we said, sure. I said, but I told him, I go, we're doing your festival. I want a prime slot. And I want it, you know, I want to be one of the headliners. I don't want to be just, you know, a support act for some other local Chicago bands. I said, we put a lot of work into this. And so he's like, no problem, you got it. And, and at one point, I thought we were going to open for Metal Church, and Legions of Doom came in and pushed us back. And then the uh, was it Spread Eagle? They're a touring act, so they got they got ahead of us as well. And yeah. Bob's like, well, we'll put you on at seven. That's the prime spot to tell you yeah. the truth. That's Saturday night. If you wait any longer, everybody's going to be shit based, and it's not going to be the same. And so I was like, fine, whatever. But, you know, there was a lot of people that were too young at the time when we were playing to get to see us. And so they showed up. They got to see us this time around. And uh, so I was happy with the Reggie show. It was cool. It is what it is. You know, Reggie's just the metal bar. I had never played that bar. And uh, I thought it was fun. It was a good time. And it was also good that we did Germany before we did Chicago. But um, yeah, it was nice. It was nice to come back and play a show in Chicago. But I will say... The crowd is the scene is a bit different today than it was back in the eighties. Back in the eighties, it was a little, little more intense. Felt a little more dangerous. 
Uh, now it's a little more of a happy community, you know. Well, it's, it's funny because Spread Eagle is from my neck of the woods, uh, Jeff. And and to be honest, and this was no knock on them because they their set was good. It was full of high energy. But, you know, the room cleared out when you guys were done and maybe everybody needed a little break. It was tiring. They need another beer, bathroom break. But it was definitely not the same energy in the room for Spread Eagle. So that should say something about no, it. I didn't know and, that. Uh, no, it, it was the case. And uh, we're also pretty good friends with Ron Holzner. We had him and Carl on the show earlier in the year as well so for me this was a killer night because i got to see you guys meet you that was the first show with mark lopes fronting the mic at uh metal church yeah. so i think it was a pretty important night for metal you know a lot of great things so, happened yeah. that night you know i was so, happy when it, yeah i was happy with it um you know sometimes i get a lot i've always been my harshest critic even back in the day i always felt oh i don't I'm not good enough or we're not heavy enough or we're not metal enough. You know, I've always, I'm always criticizing shit. I think I do. And, uh, and now my beef is all, I'm too old. You know? <laughs> I don't have the same energy I had, but, um, I, I think I've got great musicians surrounding me and I, I think my voice is still holding up all these years later. Uh, I didn't abuse it throughout the years. Um, so I was happy with it. You know, we, we showed, we gave, we gave a new generation, a view, a, a firsthand view of what eighties, the eighties metal scene was like. And all those guys, like Nitro, Eric Wagner from Troubles, I knew those guys. I hung out with those guys. So we're like some of the the torch bearers of that era, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it, it was nice to be able to do that. And I think I heard, um, I saw something that that show was filmed for a uh, a future documentary. Yeah, it was. Yeah, this yeah. this thing. I, I, I did an interview for this. This is some film company in Chicago. Um, these guys had done a, a film on the punk scene that got on Netflix. So they got this coming up, and uh, they, they interviewed Eric Wagner like a month before he died. Um, they interviewed Sean McAllister, and they got myself. Uh, I'm not sure who else they got in there. But it should be an interesting uh, documentary. And it's, it's cool that they're doing it. So yeah, and it's great that you'll have archival footage from the Reggie show and hopefully be included in that. So yeah, I also gave them uh somebody came up with some video from a show we did in nineteen eighty three with Thrust. So there's some of that on there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thrust uh, posers will die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, how was it how was it received in Germany? The uh the, the keep it true. I thought Festival. it was I thought it was pretty good. I mean we it was in the another afternoon show, you know. We were the third band on, and uh, and that is a great uh, festival. If you want to go to a metal festival, that is a fun time. I mean, look at that and, room; uh, it's awesome, you know. Yeah, and you know, people come in and come out, and most of them are camping outside and they're partying all day. And they come in and out of the venue as they see Fred because you get a wristband walking it out. And uh, when we went in, that room filled up and people came in and it was packed. And uh, that was my first show since the 80s. And uh, suddenly I'm in front of like 5,000 people. And uh, But uh, it was phenomenal. I mean, everything was top-notch. It was very pro-festival when they put it together. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I had never been on on a stage like that. 
just speaking about your voice, um, had you been singing for the last 30 years in some way or form, or how did that well, uh, go down? Just I and off, on and off. And uh, I, I, I never, once we broke up, I never performed with another band again. Yeah, I just had no interest. I didn't want to start all over again. So, uh, but, uh, you know, my voice is still holding up for some reason, you know. It's, it's not, I, I can't hit the pitches I used to when I was 21, but I can still carry it. And uh, I, I think I'm a little more smarter when it comes to being a musician and, and writing music. And, you know, I just look at it from a more mature approach. Sure, sure. So... Well, Jeff, I think it's uh, it's been a great hour chatting with you, man. We really got the lowdown on the history of the band from uh, back then and up to the present. And I'm glad I was part of it and got to see you at Reggie's. And we make this connect and bring it on to uh, our listeners. And it was a great conversation. And I only hope the best for the album and hope you guys do get out there and play some more shows. And we could see you again and hopefully have you back again on the show. So, and I, before I go, I wanted to tell you, I chatted quite a bit at Reggie's with your brother. I sat next to him the whole night and uh, he was really adamant to make sure that I made a promise to him to get you on the show. So please say hello for me. I will, Steve. Yeah. Um, And I would like to bring this band outside Chicago. I would love to bring it to the tri-state area at some point. Not sure where we play, but I would love to uh, play the East Coast and maybe bring it down to Florida and whatever. We talked to Ron Holzner about uh, maybe getting a, cause he said they're going to book a gig. Hopefully he, he said this year, maybe at the St. Vitus bar in Brooklyn, which is kind of like a Reggie's just on a smaller scale. Cause he said that was Eric's home away from home in New York. And they wanted gotcha. to bring the band. And I'm telling you, man, if, uh, if I hear anything about it from Eric or you do, man, you got to jump on that bill. Cause that's the sweet spot for you. Well, I tell you, we will play other shows if we're asked, if we're invited. No one's invited us. So, <laughs> but if they asked us, uh, I'm sure I could rally the other guys and do it. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to play out uh, in uh, the New York area, New Jersey area. I think that'd be great because I know we have fans out there. Yep. So. Hey, Jeff, uh, where can people get your product, find out about your band? Are you on Twitter? Well, we have a Facebook page, uh, Witch Slayer Metal. Uh, it's on Facebook. You can find it. Uh, Bandcamp is where you can find our album. Okay. Sonic Age Records, uh, company out of Greece. Uh, we're selling the album on our Bandcamp page, but you can get it through San- uh, Sonic Age, which is out of Greece. Um, and that's pretty much it. Pretty pretty low budget operation we we got going on here. So. Well, we'll put all this up on the show notes and direct people through our channel. So. All right. Well, hey, Jeff, okay. uh, thanks for the talk. It was great going down heavy metal memory lane. You know, we're cut from the same cloth. And um, I I just do have one question, though. I have a 24-year-old son that is mm-hmm. a diehard, diehard Green Bay Packer fan. Lawrence uh, Trubel. Yeah, he, just, <laughs> he just wanted me to say, go Pack, go. Okay. No, well. There's always somebody, man. Oh, like hey, anywhere I'll see the goddamn Packer jersey. No, but we're up here. We're up here in Bill's country, and I'm a Miami Dolphin and fan. So, so, am I, so. so, but all serious, all kidding aside, thank you and uh, best of luck, my friend. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys, and it was uh, while well, it was great meeting you in yeah. Chicago when you were there. 
Yeah, it was. It's great, Jeff. And uh, I think we'll we'll talk again, and we'll see each other again for sure. Right on. Thank you. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for talking. Yeah, you too, Jeff. Have a great weekend, buddy. Good. See you. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.